And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, your beat writer for the Athletic. He's buff, but he's not buffed up. At least not yet. He is Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing? I don't even know what that means. I was just wondering if you were going to announce you got like another animal this week. <laughs> no, but today I did see my one of my cats on top of the kitchen counters, kitchen cabinets, not the counters, the cabinets, which is kind of scary because uh, there's a lot of things that go wrong when they're that high and they have things to knock down. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, as I record... This podcast, I am home alone, so there's a very good instance that some cat fights are going to be heard, even though I have the studio door closed, maybe some dog whining, because when the cats fight, the dogs whine, and uh, <laughs> and that's kind of my life in my zoo. Uh, yep. The cat's trying to get in oh, right now. All uh, right. All right. So, right. Right on cue. Right on cue. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, the, the the big thing, Cody, this week was uh, the listeners and your readers got an answer to a T. So if you listened a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Ty Cobb story, your experience going down the Royston, going down to the museum, and, and kind of immersing yourself in the Ty Cobb story. But that's not the reason, the only reason, that you went down the Georgia uh, you tease. You said it's a story I'm working on. I don't want to reveal it quite yet, but it is out there now. You went and spent some time with, I would probably say, is the most intriguing tiger on the roster, and certainly the most popular fun story of the 2021 season, Mr. Akil Badu. So, uh, one of the things we like to do on this podcast is kind of behind the scenes stuff and kind of get the writer's perspective on. You know how you got to this story and, and what kind of reporting on it. You know what was that, what was that like? So, um, can you kind of share with us a little background on getting in touch with Akil and you know trying to arrange a time to you know spend some time with him because that's the thing about these stories. I know because I've done them on very light scales, but these things don't come with a phone call. These things come with time spent and really understanding the person. So, you know, what kind of prompted you to decide to kind of do a story like this where we learn, I feel like, a lot about Mr. Badu? Number one, you used the phrase down to Georgia. Now, the devil went down to Georgia is stuck in my head. Uh, luckily, there was no fiddle playing involved uh, <laughs> on this trip. Um, I just wanted to see Akil Badu kind of hang out, you know, a, d- a day in the life. Uh, I think the idea kind of first got started toward the tail end of last season when he he told me about um you know the fact he owns or co-owns a barbershop in atlanta called the fade lounge and i just thought that was that was interesting it was kind of a newer thing i you know kind of thought hmm, i wonder if there's there's more of a story there i think that combined with the lockout and there not being very much going on and just the fact uh badu's uh you know, an interesting personality and an interesting player um, made it, you know, something I wanted to check in on this offseason. So the process actually started way back in probably early December. I reached out to Akil's agent and kind of pitched the idea. And, um, you know, the agent was all on board. He asked Akil. Akil right away said he was he was up for it. And the agent was like, how about you and Akil just coordinate it? Uh, so at the time I was like, all right, that sounds great. Uh, and although I think Akil is, you know, I, I really like Akil. I think he's a mature guy. Uh, he kind of got reminded he's like 22, 23 years old because coordinating all this with him was, was not the easiest thing I've ever done. Uh, you know, basically I said, how about we find a day in early January? And it was like, yeah, I'll check my schedule. And then just didn't hear from him for a long time and then followed up and didn't get a text back. And then, you know, finally in January, you know, I kind of just forgot about it over the holidays, circled back in January. There's a little bit of back and forth. Took a while to nail down a day. And when I finally got that day nailed down, it was a little bit short notice. Good news is it uh, it all worked out for the most part. 
talked to Akil on the phone the night before. We kind of laid out a game plan. You know, we were going to meet for lunch, go over to his hometown. I was going to watch his hitting session, see his old high school, maybe go, you know, by his parents' home, maybe go to his house. Didn't get to fit all that in because we were supposed to meet for lunch at 12.30. Akil <laughs> texted me, you know, as I'm on the way to the restaurant, oh, it'll be 12.50. comes around he calls me yeah I'm uh hitting or I just got done working out in Marietta like about an hour away from Conyers I was like long story short we did not do lunch and I was like why did we why did we schedule this but you know when uh when you come in town and to spend the day with someone you are totally at their mercy so you go with the flow Luckily, I thought the day went um, really well from there. Hung out with the Keel um, in Conyers, Georgia, probably what thirty-ish minutes, you know, outside of downtown Atlanta, um, and watched a hitting session. He was there with some other pros, including Cedric Mullins. I think I'm just going to share some anecdotes that that weren't in the story because they're funny. One, all these players were using this thing called the exact swing trainer, all right? So they basically have their bat and their body, like, hooked up to these cables, like resistance cables, and they're mimicking their swing, and the guy who, like, invented it is there kind of trying to sell it. He's getting videos, you know, wants all the players to use it, and then, like, give it a good review, you know, and uh, Cedric Mullins comes up and is about to do it. And, you know, Akil had done it. Uh, this guy, Will Benson, who's in the Guardian system, had done it. And Cedric Mullins comes up and he's like, yeah, you're going to have to talk to my agent about this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just calls up his agent, hands the guy the phone, you know. And uh, I, I assume the gist of the story was like, Cedric ain't doing nothing without getting compensated for it. So I don't nice. think Cedric's uh, testimony will be included. I guess that's why the right you get when you uh, when you like make an All Star game, you know. Um, but it was it was cool to see Akil in that setting. My favorite part of the story was going out uh, to his high school field at Salem High School, and you know I was thinking Georgia, like fertile baseball ground. A lot of players come out of that area. You know, I didn't. I know he went to a school that wasn't known for baseball, but I was very surprised when we rolled up to the field and it was pretty run down. I mean, it was pretty in tatters. Probably didn't help that it was in January, but you could tell the the field and the you know the dugouts and the sheds and the cages had not been taken care of well at all. Um, so it was fun to watch Akil kind of walk around the field and ponder his. Uh, just slightly younger self, you know, playing on this field and to think he came, you know, it's it's not accurate to say Akil Badu came from nothing. He played on some elite uh, select teams in Georgia. His parents, you know, his father's an engineer. His mother works for uh, the payroll company ADP. But he didn't come from a baseball powerhouse school like a lot of these kids in Georgia do. Uh, I think it only kind of adds to his self-made kind of improbable story. Uh not only did this guy never play above high A before making the majors, he played at a high school that like barely still has a baseball program. Uh, so I think it was a kind of an insightful look at um, just just the roots of Akil. Yeah, insightful is the key word there because as I was reading the story, based on just the observational knowledge I have of Akil, that peek behind the curtain of his roots really started to make sense so um obviously i'm a firm believer that if uh you have strong parents and still strong values you know that's gonna come into fruition when you go out on your own he's obviously a guy who works hard it's obviously a guy who values where he came from that was very apparent um when you think about the injuries once he was a professional and then the you know not reaching above high a rule five draft pick the odds on that aren't necessarily great to make the impact he did um immediately afterward it would be weird so like you know i'm in dallas right it would be weird if he came from Coppell high school or south Lake carroll high school and had that journey it would be like silver spoon and then adversity whereas he he kind of his story makes sense. You know what I mean? It just kind of makes sense. Definitely. Everything kind of makes sense with Akil. As does, you know, I got a lot of camaraderie uh, impressions reading that story as well. So you mentioned the Fade Lounge. Uh, 
that's not something that you're just there to get a haircut. You're there to chill, honestly, and and you know I'm not trying to spoil everything, but it's more than just a barbershop, basically. And you know he's working out with guys that he's known since eight years old, and you know that are also successful, so they have that shared experience thing going on. Um, I was also struck just because you know obviously I don't know him at all. I've never talked to him, never met him. Um, there was a lot. You talked about sort of like the you know, being a young 20-year-old, 20 20-something-year-old, 20 and, you know, trying to figure out, and maybe logistics aren't necessarily the strength of most people that are 22, 23. Um, shallow thinking is not Akil Badu's forte either. There was a lot of moments in there that it really seemed like he was appreciative of where he came from, appreciative of where he is, but also still eager to get to a certain level that you know really only he can define because it's his career but that's another thing too uh you know him more so i'm just gonna say that you weren't necessarily struck by you know the deep thinking but experiencing it in that setting what was that like for you as a reporter observing that uh in real time and then also trying to chronicle it so you can write you know the good notes the good nuggets there (laughs) <laughs> uh it, yeah it really didn't surprise me i think i know akil knew enough about akil at least going into this to know you know one of the reasons i wanted to go see him is look there are some guys you could visit and it probably just wouldn't go very well and no matter the setting you wouldn't get a ton of insight out of them in an interview i knew akil was a pretty thoughtful guy um it was kind of my suspicion going down there but it came to life even more actually spending a day basically in his life. Uh, but it was really catching a young man in transition. Like you talked about, there were certain things, the scheduling, when we went to eat at night, I was like, you know, like, look, this is going to be on the athletics dime. So, uh, wherever you want to go, even though Akil makes a lot more money than I do, but I was like, you know, we can go somewhere nice. You know, Akil took me to like a blaze pizza by his house, you know, as like very like 22, 23 year old things also combined with, kind of an uncanny amount of thoughtfulness and introspection from a 2022-year-old athlete, but also a guy who a year ago was living in his parents' basement, literally, uh, had just played in the minor leagues, has had Tommy John surgery, and now he's a big leaguer. He's got a year of service time. Uh, He's got a year of big league paychecks. He had a pretty successful year, and he has a chance to be a pretty integral part of a Tigers team that's trying to win and trying to make the playoffs. Like his life has changed substantially in the course of a year. And I think he's kind of navigating the territory that comes with that. He basically said, look, getting thrown in the big leagues, like I had to mature. There was no, there was no choice. You know, Um, that environment demanded that he have work habits, that he be responsible, that he, breathe in everything that comes with being a major league player. Um, and I think this off season has been kind of getting comfortable with that, getting comfortable with being a man, like anyone his age kind of would, um, you know, he happens to be a big league ball player. He already now owns his own house, but he's also trying to figure out, okay, I had some success as a rookie. How do I build on this? How do I make sure I totally lock down a starting spot? How do I make sure I remain successful through my career? without forgetting the things my parents taught me, without forgetting about the, you know, the high school where I came from. Um, so, it, yeah, I think it was just, uh, like, that That was just palpable to me the whole time, and I asked him, and I was like, I kind of feel like the theme of this time in your life, like, this season of your life is just, like, becoming comfortable with your new life, with becoming a man, with your, your new skin, uh, there's a snakeskin analogy at the the top of the story that I had to fight with my editors to keep in there. I don't know why. I thought that was brilliant. I don't know why they don't want to take it out. It. Maybe I liked it. maybe it was overwrought, but yeah. I see. I, I hope everyone liked it because it was my favorite part of the story. But, um, and I, and I thought it was very fitting. Like this guy has, is in this new skin, but he's still kind of getting used to it, getting comfortable. And um, it's another it's another you know crucial time and crucial off season in his life as we somewhat near the 2022 season well you know he's the kind of player that 
obviously, as you documented, and we all would assume anyway, he's he's working out, he's training, he's doing all these things, but he's at a point in his career that the time lost from a lockout, should it project as we uh, projected to do, it's like as it's about as worst time as it could be. Really, only last year would have been worse, you know, if it, <laughs> as the Rule 5 guy trying to make the team. But it's like, all right, you had some success. The team is getting a little more serious. The stakes are a little bit more higher. Uh, kind of need every single high-quality training rep and, and influence from your organization as possible. And as of now, that looks like that's going to be shorter um, I just feel like it's unfortunate timing on, on that regard. It, you, you might disagree I, with me. That's- yeah, I think Akil, as well as several other players, have already shown us these guys can achieve just as much, if not more, training on their own, given everything that goes into being a big league ball player today. I mean, Akil goes to a different place for speed workouts, a different place for strength workouts, and like two different places for different hitting workouts. Like he's doing all sorts of his own work, just like he did when he had Tommy John, just like he did during the COVID shutdown. And in that time, he went from a guy who hit in the low 200s and high A to Akil Badu, who took Major League Baseball by storm in his first couple weeks in the big leagues. Uh, This is clearly a guy who knows how to get the best out of himself and, and use his time and his workout time wisely um you know you could argue would more time in big league camp would help him but you could also argue i don't know maybe he's going to get more out of out of what he's doing on his own he's going to continue to work on his body and hone his swing and you can train at a certain level in the off season that you can't probably even in spring training where you know once you start games it's just you're you're playing games every day you, yeah you got to see live pitching but akil's doing He's doing like soft toss from different angles um, that he thinks is going to help him hit lefties. He's doing some, you know, we not his throwing arm was knocked last year. It was not very good at all. He pointed out, hey, like I'm a position player, but it was my first year back from Tommy John. I don't think that's going to transform him into like a uh, uh, an outfielder with an elite arm overnight. But he's been, you know, doing a lot of arm workouts and and like a pitcher thinks he can be a better thrower in his second year back from Tommy John. Um, I don't think that that's going to affect Akil Badu too much. Well, I'll tell you what, Cody. I yeah, I was familiar with, obviously, the hot start, the slump, and then kind of finding his footing after that. But I, don't, I honestly didn't realize his overall offensive contribution was 8% better than league average. Um I don't know how to quantify that because I don't know the formula that that goes into that, but uh, that kind of took me back. I was like, okay, well maybe maybe had a little bit stronger of a season than I thought because he's still a guy going in the next season that I think twenty twenty one was fun, but you know that 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 story no long that that chapter's closed now. That story doesn't carry anything any water anymore really not to mention the fact as i alluded to earlier trying to win games casey mize did the you know cliche is like you know we should be trying to build toward a world series but he but uh, madu said that too that like that's you know that that's cliche but i also think like given some levels of success that were reached recently they probably believe it more than they would have last year two years ago i know Badu went on the team two years ago, but you see what I'm saying? Like, it's a little bit, it's a more realistic, it's not that realistic, but it's more realistic than, uh, than had been in previous years. So, it seems like he's taken that seriously. Did you get a sense of what his sort of goals are? Did he share that with you at all? Does he, is he just like, I just want to, you know, be a starter and then, you know, we can kind of go from there? Or is he thinking, Hey, I'd like to be an all-star. I'd like to, you know, this or, you know, how does he kind of see himself projecting out his career? Or does he just kind of like more narrow than that, which, you know, I wouldn't criticize as having a bad point of view at all. Uh, 
Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I don't think we talked really about specific numbers or specific goals. I'm sure he would love to be an all-star, you know, but, uh, I think it was a lot of bigger picture talk than things we magnified in on. We're kind of more day to day. Um, but I think you bring up a good point in that Akil, look, he had good slugging numbers. He had good on base numbers overall. You know, he only hit 13 home runs. He wasn't good against lefties in the second half of the season. He wasn't uh, he wasn't great, but he still did some special things. He still stole a lot of bags. Great rookie year. I think he was third on the team in war. I think going into 2022, though, the expectations are going to be raised quite a bit where it's like, all right, you, you did that. You can stick in the big leagues. Now, can you really, you know, I'd like to see him hit, hit for a little more pop, continue to have a good plate approach, but be able to do some damage against lefties. I think he's got to play better defense in the field. Like, I think these are, and I'm sure he knows these things, and that, that's kind of the standard he wants to meet. He's got to lock down being a regular. He's kind of in pencil to be your guy in left field right now. Where is he hitting the order? Is he still your leadoff guy? Is he bumped to the bottom of the order now? There's still a lot of unanswered questions with Akil. In some ways, you could argue he's, he's a candidate for a regression, in other ways, you could look at what he did last year, the fact that he had only played high, above um, high A, and think, wow, Akil could still get a lot better. Um, so I, I still don't think any of us, you know, the Tigers included, know exactly what his most realistic ceiling is. And I think we're going to have a lot better idea of that, um, you know, after this 2022 season. I want to give you some credit here because... One of the one of the one of the many challenges of the pandemic, and I say this knowing that it's very low scale when we're talking about pandemic here. So I just want people to know I the scale is very low. But in terms of the specifics with your job and then you know us as a consumer of your work, one of the things that was taken away was locker room access, and for a lot of the season. And all of last season, though, doesn't apply specifically. In this case, no, you know, a heavy influence of Zooms and and a lot of these kind of reporting nuggets, we're just kind of lost. Like, we just won't get them. We won't get those things back from uh, people like you who cover the team on a daily basis. But for you to do this story and him being a new player, and then you throw in the pandemic policies that kind of take away some of the the, the old ability to build relationships. Uh, I, I definitely think you deserve a lot of credit for being able to build a relationship, given those challenges, given all those parameters, that he'd be like, yeah, come down, see my town, see my, uh, you know, see my business, see my high school. Um, but I am curious, did you take advantage? Did you take advantage of any of those you know, did you get in the box at all? Did you did you do anything? Did you, did you show off your ability at all with uh with these kind of professional athletes? They see, you know, you know, I was a pretty okay intramural player back at Oklahoma State. You know, let, you know, <laughs> let, let me get in the box. Let me, you know, did you get a chance to show off some skills at all? Uh, I, d I didn't get to step in the box. I I, pro I would have been better served doing that than what I actually did, which was they're at their their hitting facility. Cedric, uh, after already big time in the exacta trainer guy, uh, left. But it was Akil, Will Benson, and honestly some other guy who I'm not sure who he was. Like I think he was some kind of prospect, but like not, not on the same level as these other guys, you know. Uh, but anyway, they they're shooting around, they're playing horse, and Akil's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna shoot around for a little bit." I was like, "All right, great." Like. You know, day already started off. Like now we're now I'm gonna have to sit here and watch you play horse. Like we got we got things to do. He's like, no man, you can play if you want. So I was like, I'm I'm not gonna say no. I'm a competitor here, and you know I ugh, I, I wasn't real confident going in. This guy Will Benson from the Guardian system. He was six five, played basketball in high school. Still pretty young. He. To me, had like it looked to me like a guy who could have played D one basketball. Like he was probably the best person I had ever like just shot around with. It was this dude made everything. It was crazy. Uh, Akil, you know, Akil was good. I I would have expected him to be a little better for as much as he's talking about Kobe and stuff, you know. <laughs> and and actually, this other guy was terrible. So he was he was worse than me. 
So that worked out. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. I had not shot a basketball in, I don't know, probably a year. I airballed my first shot, man. And I was like, uh, you know, it was it was kind of deep. It was like a three, and I airballed. I was like, oh, my God, here I am with these professional athletes. This little white, like, journalist dude gets on the court and just airballs. Like, they're just, oh. Uh, I picked it up after that, man. I think I hit some nice shots. I think I earned their respect a little bit. Um, maybe, I don't know if I looked pretty doing it, but I think I hit some nice shots. There was a point. I had a keel, I think one letter from elimination. And he was like, if you, uh, if you beat me, like this can't go in the story. And I was like, no, Akil, if I beat you, this is the story. <laughs> uh, I was kidding, of course, but, uh, I ended up getting beat, but I can say I almost beat Akil Badu in horse. And, uh, I think, I feel like I held my own with some professional athletes in the game of horse. Luckily baseball players, of course, but. At various stages in life, you get some of those moments where it's like you got the stones to do this or not you know what i mean <laughs> like it it, ha- it it happens randomly and and that was one of your mo- you don't just get one you get you know several look, of these look, I, that was I, one of know, those i think i think next time i talk to a journalism class i might have to bring this up i'm like look like you gotta you're gonna do some immersive reporting like you kind of gotta like, are you really about it? You know, I, I think Akil probably respected me more after we played horse and I didn't totally embarrass myself. Yeah. I think it was more, more chill after that, you know, like, like any, it's kind of a bonding, uh, activity. I think it was good for the rest of the story. When we sat down, sat down for dinner, we had, we had a really nice talk and the interview went well and just kind of chatted about, about life and our personal lives and stuff like that after the fact. So um, that's another thing about these stories. They tend to be uh, some of the more rewarding stories you get to do where you really get to know someone and get a peek inside their life. You know, yeah, I went to his uh, his barber shop um, and it was it was uh, I'm, I, I'm glad I did it. And Akil said he was glad I came down. I don't know if he was lying because I had to follow him around all day. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think I think he actually kind of enjoyed the process, too. And the other guys he works out with, they, they, they didn't seem to mind you because obviously you weren't there for them, but they're like kind of included. They had a good attitude about it. Will Benson's my guy now. I'm gonna, we're going to be keeping tabs on him. He's got some power numbers. Uh, his like average numbers are terrible, but he ended last year in AAA. I'm going to be rooting for this Will Benson guy to get up to the big leagues. He was very cool to me. Yeah, a little added bonus to uh, going down there. So last week we talked about you tease, you gave, well, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, put it out there that, uh, you know, Keith Law is coming out with a hundred prospect list and, uh, Jackson Job's not on it. Um, and we talked about that a little bit and, you know, just kind of the, the wait and see approach. Although I want okay. So side note, we're not going to do this now, but in the future we need to do like a segment about just like either craziest twitter mention or craziest like comments on your story because i saw people being like it's clear the tigers made a mistake like on twitter and it's like (laughs) and and you approached it well you didn't like shame this person or whatever but you were just like how about we just like let him pitch let the 19 20 year old like pitch one professional ending before we call him it call him a bust like can we at least reach that threshold twitter can we reach that threshold where they actually play some level of professional baseball, then if you want, go ahead. We're still gonna tell you you're wrong, but at least wait to that. Just, just can we get, can we get there? Just that's all I want. Um, but Keith, yeah, this is, go ahead. Uh, well, the same guy then also responded with like, "Well, why, why didn't he pitch at all? Is that not concerning?" I was like, "Okay, so in addition to already declaring Jackson Joba bust, you clearly have not." read anything that has been written about him whether by me or other beat writers because it has been explained multiple times that why you know that he hadn't pitched since may 18th he gets drafted in july the tigers weren't going to try to build him up so he could throw two you know gulf coast league games in fact none of their pitchers i believe from that draft class threw in game action because uh with the draft being pushed back to july like it just just didn't happen. They chose to take it more slowly with all their pitchers. So shout out to the guy who 
is not educated about Jackson Job and already thinks he's a bust. Let me let me just say this. If the Tigers drafted anybody in the first round, much less the number three overall pick, and then like looked at him and said, Oh wow, he's actually really terrible. We're gonna like shut him down for this year and just kinda hope we ho- hope for the best. We would be on here killing them. You would be writing articles killing them. It's like you drafted a guy that you didn't even, like, you physically figured out he physically can't pitch, like, with a third overall pick or any first round pick. Bad. Like, that would be terrible. Shout out to the Mets and Kumar Rocker. But, well, uh, I mean, at least there's... My guy, Kumar Rocker. At least there's some, like, agent injury shenanigans. I'm just talking about talent here. Like, it's sure. just, it's like, oh, yeah. Not really sure about that one. No, man, there's a plan in place here. He's 18, 19 years old. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, I don't know if he's going to be good or not, but I will say this. If he's a bust, it 1,000% will not be because he didn't pitch in a couple Gulf Coast League games in the summer of 2021. I'm just saying. Like, that's that's 100%. But Keith Law did come out with an article, gave Tigers a little bit more love, uh... Some some of the guys that just missed, I think he chose 14, which is kind of a weird number to choose, but, you know, more power to you, whatever you want to do. But familiar face, Dylan Dingler made the list. Um, a guy that he essentially knocked, like he acknowledged the talent. We all know the talent, the potential, um, and how he shot up to double A. Injury concerns and just getting into like a hitting slump once he did get to double A. Um, were reasons for Keith Law kind of knocking him a little bit. Um, oh, I thought was fair. You know, like, I, I, I wouldn't call that bad analysis. Uh, I think the upside's a little higher than what he indicated, but look, he's the professional. I'm just a guy that, you know, ha- has a podcast that isn't picked up by the company of the other guy I do the podcast with. So what do I know? That's okay. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. That's okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so I thought it was a fine opinion. I'm not gonna, you know, harp on him for it, but it is just another reminder of the potential and the, I'm gonna say risk, but the risk of not realizing that potential in a prospect like Dylan Dingler that was universally beloved when he was drafted where he was drafted. Yeah, I, um, you know, kind of had to do a companion article with with Keith Law's top 100. So I wrote about Jackson Job and how we'll know more about him soon and made a few more notes. One of them was I thought Dingler deserved top 150 consideration, but certainly wasn't on that list. I did not have, uh, I didn't know who was going to be on Keith's just missed the cut list. Job, of course, still was not on there. Uh, he, Keith explained in a live chat, I think he said he ranked Job like 16th on his draft board last year. So he wasn't going to move him up just because of where he was selected in the draft. Like, I guess maybe that's sound reasoning, but I still think Job's a top 100 talent. Uh, surprised me though, that Dingler may just missed the cut. Like I said, I, you know, I thought he was probably a top 25, top 150 prospect. Um, but Keith Law, who doesn't always like Tigers prospects. Seem pretty fond of of, uh, of Dingler, and you know, yeah, I think. Uh, look, I was I was kind of trying to pump the brakes on Dingler a little bit. I don't think we really know how good of a defensive catcher he is. I think he's athletic and has a pretty good arm, but the finer points, the organization's made it pretty clear he has some work to do. And when he runs into a massive hitting slump in Double A, like I th- I think it was a bad enough finish to the year to maybe even keep him off that list. Uh, but Keith seemed to like Dylan Dingler's upside, and there's nothing wrong with that. And Dingler very much is a guy who, look, if he's healthy and he has a good start in double-A, could easily um, win himself back into good graces very easily. And I, I definitely still think he's a, a part of the future of the Tigers organization. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things when they traded for Tucker Barnard, like one of the things that we – talked about was this doesn't necessarily change the timeline for a dingler um and also i think some people need to kind of keep in mind now the loyal readers and a lot of the listeners to this podcast know this but the catcher position is 
by default partial platoon anyway so if just because you have like a nice stable catcher like they're not doing 162 games you know what i mean so like you still got to have a quality backup we've certainly seen as tigers watchers and you reporting on them uh when things are lacking i had behind i I had a beer with uh i had a beer with evan petzold from the free press uh the other night and Talked about a few things. Number one, could we just cover a normal season? Because Evan's newer to the beat than I am, and he, he covered the uh, COVID season last season when access uh, was not normal. And then um, this year we've got a lockout and access probably won't be normal. So I, I covered one more year. That was the 2019 Tigers. I don't know if that counts as a normal year because <laughs> it was one of the worst baseball teams of all time. Uh, yeah. So it'd be cool if we like things could just be normal and we could like do this job like normally. But another point we had was like, if the Tigers were to extend Tucker Barnhart, which if things go well this year, I think they will try to do. Um, I don't think they should rush to do it, but if things go well, I think you can feel pretty good for the first time in a long time. You can feel pretty good about the state of the catcher position. Say you sign Barnhart for a couple more years. And you have Jake Rogers who will be coming back, and you have Dingler rising, and maybe those guys kind of duke it out uh, to be your other catcher, you know. And the loser that's still a really good third option. Like I think you can feel pretty good about the catcher position going forward. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things we said right after the trade was it gives you flexibility, and that's exactly yeah. what you want out of if you're a fan of an organization. That's the, one of the number one things you want is for them to be flexible to go this direction or that direction, both being, you know. Uh, good directions to go so um not feeling so good cody about the state of the lockout uh there was another meeting this week and it was i believe the term used was heated um and it, it did last a little longer i suppose i just on top of my head like an hour and a half maybe there were some things that we're starting now finally to get some trickling out of like what this side wants and what that side wants. And one of the things that we kind of identified as we were playing this podcast that was most interesting was the service time issue and the players not wanting the owners to manipulate service time anymore. Uh, something that I'm pretty sure on the uh, approval rating among the fans would probably be relatively high uh on the player side i should say is like you know you see chris bryant killed in spring training you're a season ticket holder you probably want to see him on opening day you know something like that um so this is according to the article in the athletic uh, about some of uh, the things that came out of this meeting um so i don't know if we got this as verbatim but i'll just kind of read it out from this article union proposal for the service time issue they would this this proposal would award a full year of service to rookies who finish in the top five in their league for rookie of the year, top three for reliever of the year, and or make first or second team all MLB, non outfielders, non pitchers who place in the top ten in their positions in their respective leagues, not overall, in their respective leagues, uh, on a couple war averages, um, would also qualify. And there's a couple other ones in there. But basically, the union is saying is that if you reach this level of play, then you're a full-on major leaguer. You're ser- like you've put in a year's worth of service with your play, even if it didn't qualify on you know whatever criteria amount of games, which is basically what it comes down to now. So um, MLB don't like that. They want... They did propose something that's a little bit more narrow. Not a little bit. It's narrow. It's more narrow um, in terms of accruing service time. Um, my initial thoughts were that I like to see traction, but I didn't necessarily feel like closer to the des- uh, destination on this specific issue. Um but I did, I did, overall, I like the union's point of view here, whereas they're basically looking like, look, we're going to be output focused, not time 
served focused what what were kind of your thoughts on the service time uh information we got this week yeah i mean i think it's an important topic for the tigers with green and torkelson obviously who are probably going to be involved in these discussions um to some level this year i like the union's plan better than mlb's plan which is just to what award a draft pick um to teams who like call up a, a you know a top if a player enters the season as a top 100 prospect, according to a mutually agreed upon definition, so I don't know, is Keith Law like determining who well, MLB you know, pipeline? There would be some you conspiracy know, yeah. theories there if they did that. Right, right, right. So I I don't like that, and you know, basically you get a uh, a um, draft pick. You know, if you if you have them on the opening day roster, I like the union's plan a little better. It basically awards, like you said, output. If a guy's a top rookie, he earns a year of service time. I think that's closer to a good solution. I don't think it's a perfect solution because the idea of service time is that it's time-based. So Wander Franco uh, only played 70 games last year, but he was in the top five of rookie of the year. So does that mean he would the Rays would basically be penalized and lose a whole year of Wander Franco? They'll be okay because they've already negotiated a... Uh, a long-term deal with them, but still, you know, according to baseball reference, Franco earned 0.104 years of service time. He was not even on the roster until the second half. It wasn't really like they manipulated his, his time. Um, but under this plan, my understanding, well, all right, that count wander played well in 70 games. So he gets a full year. Uh, that's kind of not how service time is supposed to work. You know, it, it's supposed to reward guys who are on the major league roster or, you know, unless they're, they're injured. Um, it's time spent in the major leagues. So I don't love that, but I also don't know what a better solution is. I think the union's plan would give teams much more incentive to just put guys on rosters than, uh, than the draft pick for sure. So I don't, I don't hate the union's plan. I don't know if it could somehow be tweaked to make a little more sense it's the best solution I've heard so far to an issue that had kind of gone by the wayside. We hadn't heard about it in a while. And so I'm glad we actually got some details on what they're considering. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not saying I'm prefacing this. this it's not a good solution, but I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost thinking like if we can't agree on something like this, then maybe we just need to, you know, get the arbitrators to uh, to get off their butts from wintertime and go in springtime. It's like, all right, Chris Bryant played well enough in spring training. My analysis is he should have made the team, so I'm just awarding him a year of service time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so, like, if I believe that you, quote-unquote, manipulated service time, then I'm giving him the service time no matter when you brought him up. Uh, maybe it's a grievance thing, maybe it's, uh, and I guess in theory you could do that in the off season around the same time, you know, that these arbitrations are hearing and be like, all right, he, I believe he earned yeah, a service I time. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. I mean, nothing's perfect. It's not simple. Um, but that also uh, leaves I just it feel like that's very something. vague. Like what is earning a year of service time? So yeah, I don't know. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. So uh, we'll have plenty of time to kind of hash that out as uh, it's almost a certainty that the spring training will be pushed back, uh, which, you know, now people can know when you said, like, I talked to some major leaguers uh, or some, you know, big, you know, and now now we kind of know what you were talking about a couple weeks ago. It's like, yeah, we don't expect to go to spring training. It's like, yeah, that's that's the consensus, I believe, for everybody. <laughs> All right, so let's go into a little uh, little college connection. Back in the spring of 2015, it's my last semester in college. I was sports editor at the Ocali. I was hired by one Cody Stavenhagen, who was editor-in-chief. We both kind of stayed in, uh, despite our editor roles, we stayed you know, covering the basketball team, and which is one of the one of the favorite things we we did while we were student journalists. And uh, I don't know if this is news to anybody, but 
athletes occasionally get in trouble, sometimes light, sometimes heavy. Uh, there's a little example of some some light uh, light mischief by a member of the Oklahoma State basketball team. Um, I just pulled up the story, Cody, and you wrote it. I didn't I didn't remember. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know. I, I'm looking at it now too. I didn't know my byline yeah, was on you, this. Uh, you wrote the story. Uh, basketball player at Oklahoma State got caught with a little marijuana in his dorm room. Um, he got uh, got arrested, I believe. Right? He got arrested. He formally. Uh, he was charged with unlawful possession of marijuana. So I don't know if he was uh, formally arrested. We don't have a mugshot on this story, which makes me think. Maybe okay. Not. Well. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to indict the person. He was. Oh, here it is. It's in. It's in. Uh, he was issued a summons, but not arrested, according to the go. affidavit. Uh, but he did not travel to Oklahoma State's game at Texas Tech as a result. So we mentioned the watering hole, J.R. Murphy's, a couple times on this podcast, and uh, one of the benefits of going there is that you know a lot of. Uh, a lot of athletes at Oklahoma State. That was also their spot, and so we would. We had seen them and just kind of, you know, some of them that we knew well enough we could talk to a little bit, and some of them, uh, some of them we just kind of see and just kind of observe for our own humor, uh, you know, the their shenanigans, if you would. Um, and, and shortly after this player was uh, summoned for possession of marijuana, we saw him at J.R. Murphy's and. I don't even know why we thought this was like a, th- a good idea. It's your idea because uh, <laughs> because obviously you know it's not that big. I think we just wanted him to know like we didn't actually think it was a big deal. You know what I mean? Like we just thought it was. Like, we wanted to kind of joke with him and be like, "Well, I think we were kind of curious like if he would even like put two and two together." Which I, I don't know if he would have if not for the story yeah. you're about to so tell. So we went up to him yeah. and said, hey, bro, what's up? You know, like, you know, Kieran, Cody, blah, blah, blah. You know, and he's like, you know, he's, you know, said hi or whatever. He had he had some friend with him. Not a basketball player, but he had some friend with him. Um, and and I was like, yeah, you know, we, uh, you know, we cover the team. Like, we know everybody, you know, we know, like, Phil over there, you know, blah, blah, blah. Because we, you know, we cover the team for the Okali. And... His friend looks at him, and he just looks at him, and he goes, "They got your ass." <laughs> 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 which, uh, which made our night. I mean, that was legendary they, line. They, they got, got your ass. ass, and we did then briefly explain that, like, we didn't actually care. Like, we had to report it. Like, especially now, I feel kind of bad. Like, this guy got arrested for like a very small amount of weed. You know that stuff, but. Uh, in the moment, they got you. And to his credit, time. he he wasn't like upset or whatever. I think he kind of chuckled. He didn't no, necessarily cool. care all that much. Uh, but it was uh, it was one of those it was one of those moments where you just you, you, it was unexpected uh, humor because it was like, all right, well, we kind of have <laughs> something we like. I said we kind of want to be able to approach him and just like you know make sure everything's like all good, um, and it could have gone terribly. And, but it's true. He could have punched us. Luckily, I mean, who knows? Luckily, he was, luckily he was very I'm cool I'm pretty about sure it. at the time he was probably drinking a liquid marijuana, and we probably made a joke is about the fact that he was drinking a liquid marijuana. And uh, maybe, and, and yeah, again, so. sometimes some people can take that kind of humor. Some can't. And, and to his credit, to his credit, he could. So, uh, so yeah, that's a that's a that's a nice little one-off uh, college chronicle. We have a couple others that will be sharing we got a lot in in the holster uh there cody but uh that's that's a good one especially with it being you know we're starting to get in the heart of college basketball season here um i wanted to uh take a couple minutes here uh i we're recording this just in spirit full disclosure like i i feel the need to kind of be honest with everybody we're recording this on wednesday february was it the second uh, yeah, second. And yep. the reason we're recording this early, so if something happens between now and Sunday, like we won't have it on the podcast. And the reason being is that um, earlier this week, my grandfather passed away, had a heart attack. And so I'm going up to New York to uh, 
to, you know, go to the funeral, see the family and all that stuff. And, um, you know, like when, when your father, you know, had his thing, Cody, I said, you know, I think it's important you share because, you know, people feel, you know, more connected to you or whatever. So I'm trying to do the same thing here. So I thought I, I, A, I just wanted to inform everybody. Um, and B, I kind of wanted to share a couple funny anecdotes. So that's kind of the person that I am. Uh, I try to be a person who looks at, like, uh, the positive side and remember the good times. And, you know, not in this, you know, everyone has a bad end, right? So why would you want to remember a bad end? So uh, remember some of the good times. So I jotted down a couple of things. So just a little, and, and maybe this might help explain my character a little bit. I don't know. Um, uh, he, he's, a, he's a New York irish catholic to a t um i don't want to make light of this uh this one little part but like his name is paul shanley and unfortunately if you google that name you find some priests who did some bad things so i always kind of felt bad for him that like you know you know and like imagine if he was like our age trying to go through that people google you when you you know you know trying to go for a job or whatever it's like yeah that sucks um but uh i always kind of grew up with this guy being like the epitome of like the catholic uh like the catholic morals you know and then as i became like a teenager started realizing like this probably this guy's kind of more irish than he is catholic like he loves to drink (laughs) um i remember i went up to uh i went up with one of my high school buddies we were 18 years old we went up to new york uh, spend spend some time with my family up there, which and by the way, that's the only extended family my I have. My father, um, his parents passed away before his mom before I was born. His dad a couple months after I was born, so obviously didn't know him. He's only child, so this is the only extended family I have. And uh, so we went to a minor league baseball game, uh, Hudson Valley Renegades, which uh, is where the start of. Uh, Josh Hamilton's career, Evan Longoria's career, Craig Monroe spent some time there. Uh, a lot of guys have started out there because it's literally like, you know, the first minor league team you'll play for, uh, New York Penn League, although I'm not sure if it's still called that with all the changes in, uh, in the minor leagues. But regardless, uh, long time with the Rays, also with the Rangers, whatever. Nice little minor league ballpark, and uh, they had dollar beer night. It was like uh, Irish beer night or something like that is green beers for a dollar and uh and so i get my uncle who's also there with me to kind of like buy me some beers i'm kind of like not showing my grandfather you know because i don't want to know that i'm drinking you know and uh and so we go sit down in our seats and my grandfather just walks up to us with a tray of beers and (laughs) <laughs> and it's my friend Scott on my left, me, and then my uncle Steve on my right. And he just hands the beers to my friend Scott. And again, like but Scott just just met the guy like yesterday or whatever. So he's like, uh. And he's like, all right, uh, these two are Coors Light. These two are Amstel Light. See who wants what. And then he left, and then we, he went and got himself a beer. So he just literally made a beer run for us <laughs> and, and, and didn't even – these are that, you know, whatever. I later found out from my mom that because he grew up in this, you know, a certain era, um, that basically as soon as you could see above the bar, they would let you drink, which uh, which actually is, you're kind of old if you're, you know, a second generation, you know, Irishman. But for me, that would have been a lot easier for me because I was, you know, my grandfather was only 5'7", so it took him a little longer than it me to see over the bar. <laughs> um, he later told me, imagine doing this today. He later told me that uh, one of the ways when he was young that he would meet women is he would, him and his like army buddies or whatever, would just park a truck with coolers of ice and beer right outside of a bar. And then they would just give them to women as they were approaching the bar. (laughs) And that's how they would like talk to him and be like, hey, what's up? You know, blah, blah, blah. I'm Paul, you know. And, you know, imagine being on the strip. And trying to like hand out beers uh, outside a bar that cost would be on you in a minute, but back in the back in the day it was a little bit different. So that was that was that was their way of meeting women. Which again, I'm hearing this from the guy that I thought was like the ultimate Irish Catholic. Um, and uh, let's see, a couple other things of note. We went to a game at the original Yankee Stadium. I looked this up, July nineteenth, two thousand six. Uh, 
Mariners, Yankees, Randy Johnson pitched that game. I was really excited. I got to see Ichiro. He stole two bases. Richie Sexton hit a home run. Um, and on the train ride over there, the the ticket person on the train is like asking for everybody's tickets, and he asked for my grandfather's uh, ticket. You know, he's like, "Give me your senior ticket, sir." Or whatever. He actually didn't say sir. People in New York are actually really mean. Senior ticket. Um, and so my grandpa gave him his ticket, you know, with the senior discount or whatever. And, you know, the guy walks off and my grandpa just looks at me and he goes, how do you know I was a senior? (laughs) It's one of those stupid jokes that like, for some reason I found hilarious. I kind of channeled that energy a couple of weeks ago. My fiance and I, another couple, we went to uh, a drag show. And uh, they had an MC there. We had like front row VIP seats, and um, the MC was qu- quickly able to identify that I was a straight male. And so I was like, "How? <laughs> I can't how, how imagine did you know how? That? How did you know? How did you know? Um, you know, without me even having to say anything." So, uh, so yeah. And uh, Cody, when you were talking about doing the 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 game of horse with a keel it reminded me of a time that i was with uh i was with my my, my same uncle my uncle steve uh my grandfather and my dad and we were at like this irish bar that you know neighborhood bar so if you're with somebody they didn't really care if you're under 21 you know and they poured uh my grandfather ordered uh tillamadu whiskey and shots and so at that time, I wasn't necessarily shooting whiskey. Like I was like, yeah, I hadn't really gotten the whiskey thing yet, you know. And uh, and it was one of those moments where I was like, all right, Kieran, you got the stones to take this and not look, you know, to you go, yeah, to not, to not look like you don't belong, you know. And uh, and I did, and I did, you know. So. Uh, so yeah, so um, that's why I thank you, Cody, for kind of com- uh, you know making this work with your schedule or whatever. Um, it's not our normal plan, but uh, but you know I just kind of felt I just felt like you know I wanted to share some positive memories and um, and like I said, look at the good times and you know the unfortunate thing with me being in the South in Oklahoma and Texas the. Uh, but you know, my whole adult life is that I haven't, I haven't even been back since 2016. I ain't seen him since 2016. I ain't seen anybody really in my family, in that you know, extended family, since uh, 2016. Every you know, every summer it's like, oh, I changed jobs, so I run out of vacation time, or like you know, I got this work trip thing that's unavoidable, or the you know, the pandemic happens, you know, and then all those plans go go up, you know. So it's it's it, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, but one of the things you always say. You know, I always, I always think this would be a character trait I'd like to have. You know, with kids and grandkids, is um, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I'm sorry, I haven't been able to talk to you as much because I was his oldest grandson. I have a couple cousins that are females that are older, but I'm his oldest grandson. You know, so like I always think that you know he uh, looked at me in a different light than you know what I mean, like your your oldest or whatever. You know, so. You know, I was like, oh, I'm sorry I've been up there. I'm sorry I haven't talked. You know, he'd always say like, nah, nah, whatever. You know, forget it. You know, he never seemed to bother him or whatever. I talked to him right after Oklahoma State beat Notre Dame. He told me uh, he was excited to come to my wedding. You know, that's you know, in the end of March, and that he because uh, he had had some health problems, but not heart related. But he had had some heart health problems leading up, and you know, he's feeling better. He thinks he's gonna be able to go and. Uh, and he, he said, you know, I was watching the Oklahoma State-Notre Dame game. I was basically, if I was there, I would have to sit on the 50-yard line because obviously he likes Oklahoma State because his grandson went there. But being the good Catholic that he is, can't can't root against Notre Dame, per se, you know. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, it's just uh, it's one of those things that sucks. But, you know, it is, it is part of life. It is part of uh, everybody getting older, you know. And so... Uh, so, like I said, just try to try to look at the uh, the good times, and uh, and like I said, Cody, I appreciate you kind of making this work to do to do this, and I felt it was important for me to do something because like I had asked you to do something similar. So, like, what kind of person would I have been to you know, if I didn't want to you know share all of this stuff? So, 
uh, you and I are no strangers to thoughtfulness and and appreciating the time that we have, you know. So. Um, oh well, thank you, uh, thank you so much for sharing those stories, Kieran. Uh, it sounds like your your grandfather was a great man, and certainly does explain a lot about you as well. Yeah, yeah. Thing the picture becomes a little clearer. <laughs> um, so. With that, uh, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and get out of here. Uh, like I said, apologies if anything happens in the next couple of days. You know, prior to the, us publishing on Monday, rest assured, we'll tackle all those topics and more the following podcasts and podcasts. So uh, make sure, please, to follow on Apple and Spotify. He is at Cody Stavenhagen on Twitter. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. If you feel so inclined, five-star review. Make us look good. We want to look good. You know, we do this for fun, but it's also be nice to look good. Uh, you know, maybe the New York Times tries to snatch us up or something. You know, who knows? You know, you never know. Um, so all that stuff helps. Any of your listen helps. Tell it with your friends, you know, and uh, and we appreciate it. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Everybody have an amazing week.